Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Even as we're seeing more on-screen depictions of disability in films like Coda and Sound of Metal, the number of disabled people behind the camera remains low, and that affects what stories and the accuracy of stories that are told. Twenty artists were recently awarded grants of $50,000 each from the Ford and Mellon Foundations for their work advancing the cultural landscape of disability storytelling in film, and also dance, theater, writing, and more. We'll meet three of the recipients after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Antoine Hunter, also known as Purple Fire Crow, is an Oakland-based choreographer and founder of Urban Jazz Dance Company and Bay Area International Deaf Dance Festival. Los Angeles-based filmmaker Nasreen Al-Khatib was lead cinematographer for Kamala Harris's vice presidential campaign. They're part of the Ford and Mellon Foundation's 2022 class of Disability Futures Fellows, who, in the Foundation's words, are shaping perspectives through their work using the different lenses they carry, including their disability. We'll meet three California fellowship recipients this hour. And joining me first is Allison O'Daniel, a visual artist and filmmaker based in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Welcome to Forum, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to have you and congratulations on being a fellow. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. So tell us a little about you and your art practice. Sure. I um, am a filmmaker and a sculptor, and I work actually kind of across a lot of different mediums um, as a visual artist and a filmmaker. And I draw a lot upon my relationships with other people along the deaf spectrum. And I have been working on a film for 10 years that's about the sounds of Los Angeles. And uh, there's so much I could say. Yeah, well, <laughs> tell us a little bit about that film. Yeah, it's the film is called The Tuba Thieves. And the title of the film comes from the fact that between 2011 and 2013, there were tubas that were stolen from uh, 12 different high schools across Southern California. And when I first heard about this, the stories were always reported, really focused on the thieves. But I was really curious about the sound in the 
marching band rooms and how it changed after the tubas were stolen. The fact that the tuba is the timekeeper um, and also, you know, the socioeconomic impacts on different schools and who could replace tubas and who couldn't. And I, I was very aware that I was interested in this because of my hearing. So I'm, I have a binaural hearing loss. Um, I wear hearing aids in both ears. I lip read. Um, I was raised in hearing culture and in a hearing school, and I started to make a previous film in 2008 where I really wanted, I felt like I was missing my other half and really wanted to find and like insert myself into the deaf community and uh, find deaf friends and <laughs> deaf chosen family, basically. And so this film has been a way for me to address sound and the experience of sound and not just from the perspective of deaf and hard of hearing people, but also from the perspective of like animals in the Angeles National Forest who are impacted by the sounds of fires and by, you know, the sound of the city kind of encroaching upon their environment. So I, I just have this perspective on sound that I feel is really offers a lot as I think many of my uh, disabled cohort offers and how I look at the world and how I hear the world and how I try to think about hearing, but maybe not tethered to the ears. Wow. I'm so intrigued by this film and also your description of how your own personal experiences really inform the stories that you're drawn to. I was struck yeah, by you, you mentioning something along the lines of, you know, almost a limited access to the deaf world growing up. Is that right? Yeah, this is really common for a lot of people um, who are hard of hearing. And, you know, I I was born in 1979 um, and I received hearing aids in 1983. And I think audiology, ha I, uh, I'm saying this, uh, <laughs> audiology has come a long way, but still the goal is to put any child into the hearing world to like air quotes, normalize them. And mm. the, you know, that, that really does mean that you are missing half of yourself. Like you're missing half of your opportunity. It's, I don't even like this term hearing loss. I really appreciate the term that the deaf community celebrates, which is deaf gain. And in my life, that's been true. Like once I shifted away from even like using or acknowledging the term hearing loss, my life has just become much brighter and uh, better. <laughs> Def Gain, I love the Allison O'Daniel, visual artist and filmmaker based in L.A. and San Francisco. I'm also excited to bring into the conversation now Antoine Hunter, Purple Fire Crow, a director, producer, choreographer based in Oakland, founder of Urban Jazz Dance Company and Bay Area International Deaf Dance Festival. Antoine Hunter, welcome to Forum. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a blessing to be here. Well, it's a blessing to have you because I understand you are deep in the throes of getting ready for the Bay Area International Deaf Film Festival in about two weeks. Is there something from that that you're really excited about that you'd like to share? Oh, well, this is the 10th year anniversary, so I'm, I'm glad we're still surviving, you know. Uh, we haven't stopped. We want to be visual in the community, and especially in the Bay Area, you know, in our home. We want to feel welcome in our home. And this year, 
when I had my vision of having the Bay Area International Deaf Dance Festival, I wanted to be all over the Bay Area. And it's really nice to be like, and one day on Friday, we'll have the workshop at YBCA, and then we'll be at Counter Post Theater, Death Mission Theater, Most High Culture of Latino. And I just really feel that it's the blessing to spread out because sometimes when you're deaf, you feel isolated to be in one place that's very accessible because it's one place that's accessible, you know, to so spread out all over in the Bay Area for people who want to feel welcome and it's beautiful. Um, just a lot. I could stay all day. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the Bay Area International Deaf Dance Festival. If people want to check it out, you touched on this, Antoine, but much of your work enables collaboration with other deaf artists. Why is collaboration such an important part of your practice? You know, when I first started to, um, asking people to help me set up the uh, Barry International Deaf Deaf Festival, or even to have deaf performance in theater, many people would say, Oh, I don't know any other deaf people. Can they dare too? Mm. I know you can dare, but can they dare? And it was like, wow, people still today don't believe that deaf people can drive a car, can dance and everything. So it was really important for me to bring these artists from different parts of the world, like people would be coming from New York, uh, Southern California, Australia, uh, Canada, and people don't realize there is deaf culture, yes, but there is also culture in deaf culture. I mean, there's other culture in deaf culture that is very different that we need to learn from each other. Uh, so we're going to be seeing a lot of culture. <laughs> um I was really moved by a memory you have shared of being in a high school dance class and really no one feeling comfortable working with you. Could you share that story and how you realized what dance did for you? Yes. I mean, when people didn't understand me, I felt like I had no place in the world and I wanted to take myself out from this world. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, but then, wow, dance was another way to communicate. And people were connected with me and saved my life. And I want to use that power, that gift, to save other people. Like, let them use their own powers and their own gift. You know, we just need opportunities to learn how to use our X-Men power, you know. <laughs> opportunity. Because if we don't have that opportunity, we won't know how strong or weak we are. Yes, you say... It saved my life. Could you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? Well, thank you, Pastor. Um, it was that when people didn't understand me or stop me and I wanted to take myself away from the world, it felt like I was suicidal. Um, but mm. it wasn't until I was at Skyline High School, you know, the same one Tom Hank went to. And my dance teacher told me to create a dance. I'm supposed to be with the group, but nobody danced with me. So I did my solo by Whitney Houston. You know that song, I Will Always Love You. Uh, mm -hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> that, 
and I was just dancing until it was the instrumental break. I will say that I remember that it was the lightnings and the water was moving and everything was black in the room that I felt fire, the electricity moving my body. And at the end of the dance, people would just stare at me. And my teacher asked the student, what did you feel? And he said, I felt like he was cold. He was alone looking for love. And it was right. It was the way to communicate. I finally made more friends and I birthed myself to people. So that's how it stayed in my life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You felt like people were understanding you and, and communicating with you. That's really beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. We're talking with Antoine Hunter, a director, producer, and choreographer, and also Allison O'Daniel, a visual artist and filmmaker. Based in Los Angeles and San Francisco, Antoine is based in Oakland. We're talking about art, disabled artists in California who are advancing the landscape of disability storytelling and art expression. They're part of the 2022 class of Disability Futures Fellows. And we want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What films, shows, performances about disability or with disabled characters or art, sculpture, painting, have really impacted you? What does authenticity in, dis in disability storytelling mean to you? What stories would you like told? You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQD, KQED Forum. Or you can give us a call now at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. Major cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin have collapsed in value this year, and the impact of the crash is unevenly felt. A quarter of Black Americans own crypto compared to 15% of white people. We'll talk about the future of crypto and California's attempt to regulate it. 
And we want to hear from you. Are you a crypto investor? How has the crash affected you? You can let us know by emailing forum at kqed.org or leaving a voicemail at 415-553-3300. This hour, we're talking with artists in California who are advancing the cultural landscape of disability storytelling. And we're joined by Antoine Hunter, founder of Urban Jazz Dance Company and Bay Area International Deaf Dance Festival, and Allison O'Daniel, a visual artist and filmmaker based in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And I want to bring into the conversation now Nasreen Al-Khatib, a filmmaker based in Los Angeles who is lead cinematographer for Kamala Harris's vice presidential campaign, as well as for two episodes of Oprah's Emmy-winning series, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Nasreen Al-Khatib, welcome to Forum. Thanks so much for having me. Really glad to have you. And congrats as well to you on the fellowship recognition, which you've called a game changer for your career. Why? Game changer because um, it puts you into a spectrum that you were not necessarily known before or prior. Um, So it allows future collaborators to consider my work um, as a potential collaborator for them. When you say you were not known, do you mean you were not known as disabled or as a disabled artist before? Uh, Not known as a disabled artist, not known as an artist. Really? Did it take you a while to describe yourself as a disabled artist? Um, Well, it's interesting. It wasn't until I was hit by a car that I realized I was disabled. Um, And it took me a little while to get comfortable with that word and that identity. How do you feel like that identity affects the kinds of stories you are drawn to? How would you describe your work and its focus? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, Also, um, I just want to say, you know, I use the pronoun she, her, and hers. Um, I'm speaking from Tongva land. I'm a multi-heritage woman uh, wearing fitted black pants and a black t-shirt with long brown locks and tightly curly hair. Um, I have seven identities and six disabilities. Um, in my work, you know, I I like to center disability, um, racial inequity, gender inequity, uh, religious inequity. Um, and after uh, my, after I became aware that I was disabled and and that I could actually use disability in my own work, um, I started to broaden my my, the peers around me and my community to bring in more disabled filmmakers and storytellers so that um, I could also use their firsthand POV knowledge to enrich the content I was creating. Can you share a bit about what you're working on right now? Oh, sure. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the projects I'm working on right now is about the new generation of disabled space explorers. Um, a journey that has included uh, filming a zero-G flight uh, with 12 disabled people. And what is it about that story that has grabbed you? Well, the idea, you know, we're living during a really pivotal moment in disability history. Uh, We have an opportunity to revolutionize the way audiences see disability via first-person POV. Um, and when audiences get to see via first-person POV, they get a chance to experience missing information that they didn't have before that. 
um, this idea of, you know, spaces being welcoming to all people um, and spaces that are structured and, and designed for everyone, including disabled people. And when I say disabled people, I mean like the vast spectrum of disability. Yeah. And so NASA was not allowing people with disabilities to be astronauts, essentially? Yeah. Historically, um, people with disabilities were not allowed um, to go into orbit. Mm -hmm. Wow. That sounds incredible. The other thing I want to ask you about is I, I really love the way that you were describing yourself and introducing yourself. And you know, as a cinematographer... In your art, how do you think about accessibility and the diversity of disabilities and giving access to your work? Sorry, can you say the question one more time? How do you think about accessibility um, across the broad range of diversity of abilities? How do you try to make your work and the way that you communicate accessible to people with a range of different abilities? Well, lens, thinking about looking through a lens and capturing information, um, you, you have to think about like who's behind that lens and what they see and why they see it or what they feel and why they feel it. Um, so when I'm, when I'm capturing in the moment um, or even in pre-production and thinking about, you know, where to guide people's eyes, um, it has everything to do with the fact that I, I come from many identities. Um, you know, those sides of me inform how I see and what I capture. So I'm noticing details. I'm noticing people and body language that maybe someone who isn't um, multi-heritage or disabled would see. Um, and my goal is just to always try to make people feel welcomed, you know, no matter what they, what background they come from, no matter what disability they have, um, to, to make safe space so that everyone can exist safely. Yeah, you're reminding me of something that you said in a piece that I read that being a cinematographer means that the world is seeing the story through your eyes, through your lens. Has it felt like for a long time, you were being asked to live and look through other people's lenses? You know, um, growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, much of how I was programmed to be and act and respond had, you know, has everything to do with colonization um, and living in America. Um, and as I got older and I realized, you know, Yes, I'm a multi-hyphenate and it can be overwhelming for someone who is not a hyphenate. Um, so constantly editing myself and trying to fit into a space where there really wasn't safe space for me uh, wasn't working. And yeah. it wasn't working and it wasn't benefiting me at all. So I just sort of started to say, you know, um, lean into the punkness of who are you? why should I be ashamed of this? Why should I curtail or edit constantly to make this space to make me fit into a shape that I, I don't fit in? I'm not that shape. Um, 
And I noticed other people were also not fitting into those spaces um, equally. Um, I noticed, you know, all, all of the people in, I'm taking up a lot. I feel like I'm talking a lot and taking up a lot of space. I'm just going (laughs) to, I'm going to edit and, and, and stop there. Well, Alison O'Daniel hearing um, Nasreen talk about how she thinks about her work and also how she thinks about accessibility and making it accessible in other people's needs and perspectives. I am curious how you consider accessibility in your work, because I know you've been thinking a lot about this recently. Yeah. And I just want to say, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at a Zoom and Antoine and I are both nodding like so much through everything that Nasreen was just saying. And (laughs) so, yeah, this is, I mean, this is such a thrilling moment in general to, to be meeting all these other people who are, you know, thinking on such, at such a high, not basic level about this stuff. I think we've had to, um, kind of engage what I don't mean to be a snob but you know like a lot of kind of basic ideas about disability that a lot of people with disabilities are like yeah 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 like I know like let's let's go even farther like let's you know so um when you ask me about what I think about accessibility I have been for a long time, I've been working in my films with acknowledging what the experience is like to not have access to certain things. And so sometimes I bring that into my work um, to really talk about like that feeling of not having full access and to, to utilize that almost as a material, like almost as a sculptural material sometimes. And so by drawing attention to that, I am acknowledging that my experiences, my lived experiences in the world are, um, I want to be clear, this, like, when I don't have access, this is not something that is okay, or should be aspired to, and all the work that everybody is doing for accessibility is crucial. And sometimes what I do in my work is I, um, I, I create experiences that reflect what I experience. So in my film, for example, the whole film is open captioned as opposed to closed captions that you can turn on or off. My film doesn't give you a choice. Open captions are there. So that level of accessibility is immediate in the film. But then the narrative structure of the film recreates a lot of my sort of lived experiences as someone who is deaf, hard of hearing, And what I'm trying to create for the audience is a feeling of, you know, navigating information, trying to put together the pieces, trying to make sense of it, and not immediately think of that experience as something that can't be fruitful or imaginative. So I'm kind of inviting my audience to sit in some challenging experiences as a way to open up um, the facts of how I live and experience the world as a possible uh, entry point into information. Again, we're talking with Alison O'Daniel, a visual artist and filmmaker, Nasreen Akhatib, a filmmaker, Antoine Hunter, a director, producer, and choreographer. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your thoughts um, in the stories that that you would like told uh, the films, the performances, the art that has impacted you 
Danny writes, both of my parents worked for the California School for the Deaf for 35 years. My dad taught deaf kids how to drive, and my mom worked in the media center providing video services. I went to a lot of plays at the deaf school as a child and always loved it. This is an amazing show. Antoine, we've talked a little bit about uh, accessibility. If you want to comment on that, you're welcome to. I'm also just curious about... um, The conversation that is happening right now with representation of disability and representation of disabled people. And so if you have thoughts on the parts of that conversation that you feel like are most important to you or that you're really glad is being talked about now, would love to hear that as well. Thank you. Thank you. This is that one speaking. Yes, we'll just talk about assets. I, I got to put myself in the ball with everyone. Um, with those who can't see me, of course, can't see me because we're on the radio station. So let me describe myself. I have a locks in the back. It's almost four foot long. I wear a gray ebony bush beard. I have a black t-shirt. Uh, with the yellow print, that's the high tide death world. Um, I'm charity, so I'm blackfoot, I'm African, I'm deaf, plus um, disabled, and I got two spirit. Representation definitely important. It comes with uh, my experience, it's a lot of barrels, you know, people are not understanding the intersectionality of us, and that we need to. We can't separate and say I'm deaf and disabled. I'm st- I have to put that together, and I need access to both. You know, interpreter, caption. Plus, I need to stand on a ball because my spine and L two and L one are always shifting in and out, and I'm constantly in pain. But I'm dancing great freely because I love it, and I mean, it's the healing power in there. Do other people have that opportunity? That's not always. It seems that people are now putting their investment to healing. You know, when we come together, it feels great. My day is being healed. You know, um, when we ask people what your assets need. We start to have a better wisdom for ourselves and each other around us. Mm. So because, for example, even myself, I was involved with Barry and the National Deaf Dance Festival, collecting interpreters. I did not realize that some people prefer interpreters to be really closed up. Some people prefer interpreters to be far away. Some people who are deaf uh, prefer to lip read. Some people who are deaf and blind prefer PT, meaning title, uh, interpreter, meaning they need to feel their interpreter signing. Uh, so, so many different kinds of deaf people, plus people who have different needs. And maybe today I will be using my voice, and maybe tomorrow I won't be using my voice. You know, so it's good to ask every day what's your assets need. And that is really important to ask. That's the wisdom that we need to give to ourselves and each other. Um, I'm starting to forget what else is that. I was just asking you, yeah. And and that actually leads very much into the question of how, how 
disabled artists, disabled people are represented and what you feel like still needs to happen in terms of representation? Thank you. Um, Representing definitely, I think that this space needs to understand that even though we have different culture and we don't have the space to have like interpreters who are black to sign, um, that definitely helped me understand better because the culture is involved. Plus, I'm a straight from a deaf person. Some people don't realize sometimes when hearing interpreters sign, it's still we can't understand them because they're signing. But sometimes when it's coming straight from a deaf person, um, we understand even more deaf. Um, the, it's quite interesting in the world that we live in today that if a hearing person learns sign language and they're signing for Aster, they get a lot of spotlight. But if a deaf person is signing for Aster and it's hard to translate, they can't hear it, they're working, the spotlight doesn't even go there at all. Mm. Um, and so that kind of stuff. Uh, I will say that if we can find that opportunity to spotlight both, and it will benefit everyone, definitely, because we're always learning from each other. Um, it's a good, fair trade, fair trade. Um, I think we need to get our mind off of monopolies, try to get, take, take everything for ourselves. Um, and I'm, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm learning. Uh, representative is definitely important, but we just have to ask people, who are you and come on in. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Antoine Hunter, founder of Urban Jazz Dance Company in Bay Area International Deaf Dance Festival. Nasreen Al-Khatib, a filmmaker based in L.A. Allison O'Daniel, a visual artist and filmmaker based in L.A. and San Francisco. And I should remind listeners that we'll have a full transcript of this show posted with its audio later today. And our thanks to Kathleen Ridley for ASL Interpretation. And Sherry Patty for live transcription during this hour. Thanks for that reminder, Antoine. We're talking with disabled artists about how to push the landscape of disability representation and authentic storytelling. And we'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're meeting three of the recipients of the Ford and Mellon Foundation's Future Fellows 
program. It's their 2022 class of Disability Futures Fellows. And with us is Nasreen Al-Khatib, a filmmaker based in L.A., Allison O'Daniel, a visual artist and filmmaker based in L.A. and San Francisco, and Antoine Hunter, a producer, choreographer, director based in Oakland. You, our listeners, are also sharing your thoughts. And Nancy asks, thank you for this program. How do deaf dancers hear music, visual and light cues, feeling the beat? Antoine, I think that one's for you. <laughs> Sorry, thank you. This is Antoine speaking. I, I was trying to do the technology of unmuting myself. Can you say that question again? Sure, sure. Nancy was wondering, how do deaf dancers hear music, visual and light cues, feeling the beat, perhaps? How how do you do that? And also, Nancy was thanking you for this program. Thank you. Thank you. Really, um, many different deaf people have their own way of creating a strategy to do their art, their practice. Um, many deaf people have different hearing levels. Some can hear the motorcycle, but not the bird. Some can hear the bird, but not the motorcycle. Um, and they have different strategy to move. Like sometimes in the beginning of my career, I mean, I just I play the music and turn on the light at the same time, and that's how I know the music started, you know. Um, and then I fade out the music. And when the music is fading out, then turn off the light, and that's how I know the, the music is ending. Uh, but I started to get really smart creating different strategy as I go depending on different kinds of art, and I get away with lyric. So what do other dancers do? Really depends. Uh, some maybe feel more with drum music and things like that. But again, different strategy. Yeah. Uh, that was from Nancy. And listeners, if you want to share your thoughts, you can do that by posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, by emailing them to forum at kqed.org, or by giving us a call at 866-733-6786. Jess writes, as a former professional dancer, my hearing was a faculty that I had taken for granted. I had a colleague who had minimal hearing capacity, but was able to feel the beat of the music. Now, as I'm aging into my early 60s, my hearing has diminished dramatically. Friends and family don't fully understand understand how difficult it is to stay engaged socially as my hearing loss causes me to withdraw. Movies and programs about hearing loss are doing a great service in showing how movies live. The Sound of Metal and Coda are a godsend. I'd love to ask our filmmakers, what are your thoughts on The Sound of Metal and Coda? I know that there have been mixed reactions um, to those two films. Allison, do you want to go first? Sure. And also I'll jump on the um, the accessibility bandwagon and also uh, describe myself, which I am a white woman with um, brown long hair that's pulled over into a braid on my left side. And I have big round clear glasses and I'm wearing um, a shirt by a deaf rapper Wawa that says show some love which is a little shout out he's also a main character in my <laughs> film um, <laughs> and um, well I actually I interviewed the director of Sound of Metal Darius Martyr for um, Filmmaker Magazine and I'll admit when I was approached to do this interview I was really really skeptical because we don't have a good history of representation um, of the deaf in films. And 
not only is it few and far between, it's also just um, minimal. And I, you know, I watched the film and I um, was really curious about, you know, how was I going to ask him? What was I going to ask him? And what position was I in to talk to him about it? And, um, you know, the questions that kept really interesting me were, why you, you know, why are you telling the story? What's your relationship to this? I became really impressed when I was, when they shared his production notes with me because he did really amazing research. And now in hindsight, what I would say is that it's, it's almost like Sound of Metal was like step one towards moving into what I think is really responsible filmmaking and the way that he worked with the deaf community in Brooklyn and New York and really educated himself. And Darius's uh, background sort of interest in this was that his grandmother was deaf. And, um, and so he became interested in that. I, I think it's a really beautiful American independent film. I think um, one thing that I'm really looking forward to is also getting people who are deaf and who have disabilities behind the camera and who are telling their stories with a lot of authenticity. I think one of the things about Sound of Metal that, you know, we're starved for these representations um, that feel authentic. And there was a lot of authenticity in his film. Um, and yet at the same time, it still is about someone experiencing trauma around deafness. And I think um, not all of us, like many of us, have extremely diverse and varied lives where we experience a lot of frustration and trauma, but we also experience beautiful things and like easy things and very like mundane things around our experiences of disability. And so, you know, I want to show that and see that. And, um, and yeah, so I, I mean, also one thing that's just absolutely amazing about the disabled community is that we're incredibly diverse. So some people are thrilled about this film, this film or these films, and other people are like, you know, full of side eye and have a lot of questioning and that's allowed because we're this huge diverse community. Right, right. Um, Nasreen, do you have any thoughts on this? And actually, I guess in the spirit of accessibility, I can also share with our listeners that um, I'm Korean American, I have my hair pulled back in a bun. My hair is black and I'm wearing a button down blue and white striped shirt. Nasreen, it's intriguing for me to hear Allison describe um, describe sort of step one in her view as Sound of Metal. And it kind of implies that there's a step two. I'm curious what your thoughts are as well in terms of where you would like to see disability storytelling in film go what you think more the the work that still needs to be done is essentially you know disability um the disability market's worth over a trillion dollars according to nielsen which is strange because we only have 2.8 television characters on screen with a disability most of whom are portrayed by someone who's white and the actors with disabilities the actors who play characters with disabilities, um, actually 95% of them don't have a disability themselves. So there is not a clear indication of authentic representation by people who are disabled portraying our actual experiences. Um, and that's a problem because how people, because there's such little um, content online for people to absorb, 
they're not absorbing the authentic versions. And if they're always seeing a character that's um, in distress or a character that needs saving, it impacts how they see people who are disabled. Um, so thank you for, you know, thank you for bringing this up and giving us a chance to sort of um, identify content that does have normal and easy uh, portrayals of disability, the way Allison had said. Um, you know, Lady Parts is a great is a great show that has that uh, Reservation Dogs, Crip Camp, um, the movie I Care a Lot. These are films that have characters who are disabled that are just living their lives and defining normal the way we know normal is. Uh, yeah, Allison, Nasreen's bringing up the narratives as well, the types of stories that are told around disability. I know you brought up some that you have found problematic like overcoming disability as a narrative and so on. I'm curious if there are, if this is sparking thoughts for you about the types of narratives that you feel like are are problematic and, and what you would want to contribute through your storytelling around that. I think that, again, like I said, you know, focusing on trauma, I think that reinforces audience audiences should feel sorry for people with disabilities. And again, that's just not a whole picture of our experiences or what we have to contribute. And so <clears throat> I think, um, that, you know, when I watch um, films, which honestly, I just, I haven't seen that many. There's a lot of people who are working now. There's a group called, um, forward doc fwd which is filmmakers with disabilities and um started by san francisco's own james Le james lebrecht jim lebrecht who directed crip camp and you know there's a lot of people in that who are making work right now and then there's you know J jim lebrecht and rodney evans are two people who were in the first cohort of the um forward future um award and they they've both made films that are incredible, that are documentaries. I think we just have a huge, huge uh, hurdle to overcome in terms of narrative work. And I, I think for me, yeah, like the overcoming disability story, I just want to put that to bed. Like, <laughs> let's just never see that again. <laughs> Can you just describe what that is briefly? Like what that that story tends to be? Yeah, it's the it's um, a storyline where someone achieves something despite whatever is in air quotes wrong with them, you know, so someone who can, um, you know, I don't want to say names of, <laughs> of projects, because I don't want to, you know, uh, be that critical, but, um, you know, any sort of story where it's like, the the struggle is real because you have the disability but then you become almost like integrated into a sort of normal non-disabled culture because it's no longer an issue or a problem and this isn't just um this is also something that is often used around uh storylines with sickness too you know like it's not just um like uh long-term disabilities it could also be short-term so yeah <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we're talking with disabled artists in California who are advancing the cultural landscape of disability storytelling. And those artists are Allison O'Daniel, visual artist and filmmaker in L.A. and San Francisco, Nasreen Al-Khatib, a filmmaker based in L.A. as well, and Antoine Hunter, also Purple Fire Crow, director, producer, and choreographer based in Oakland. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. So then what signs do you see that are helpful or positive in your view of disability storytelling and the direction that it's moving in. The reason I ask is some have cited just this fellowship project is a sign that a a positive development. It's the second year of this fellowship program. Um, It was one that I don't know if they knew how long, if it would have a second year as well. And so that just as a piece of this. But I'm wondering, Antoine, if there are other signs that you are seeing that are particularly heartening to you, whether it be the conversation around disability storytelling or exact actual examples of things that you're seeing that you're like, yeah, this is really moving in a direction that feels right. Oh, um, just to dance with PK. Um, I'm also the president, vice president of the Barrier Black Deaf Avenue. And we work with children a lot. And these children really inspire me to work hard every day because I'm hoping their future will be great. You know, uh, things that I didn't have, I want to make sure those children have it and they lead us. One thing I think people don't realize, the older we get, at some point, all of us going to have disabilities and you can't see, you can't hear, you can't move. But there are people we need to be fixing the problem now for access right now for the better of the future to be improved. Uh, we keep talking about some more, but I realize that's a waste of time to go too slow about tomorrow. Let's do it now, you know, work on it now. Um, but it's always worth speaking about it, but let's do the action now, you know. Um, so I think for me about the future is that we get that space for the younger people to to carry us to further. Um, I don't want to make it too confusing, but I like, I'm really grateful for KQED Forum right now to have the conversation because people are being afraid to keep have that conversation quiet. And how can we actually move forward, you know, without having that conversation? So I'm hoping that we continue the conversation. One year, next year, with the fellowship or no fellowship, we need to keep that conversation open. Well, done. Let's do it. <laughs> um, Nasreen, also wanted to ask you that question. Um, you have talked about how disability is being redefined. I'm curious, what are positive signs in your view? Positive signs that I'm super excited about. Um, uh, Dayal Mohammed is a woman of color who is the first director of disability policy at the White House. Uh, Tatiana Lee is the first accessibility lead at a major studio. Uh, Natalie Patrice Tucker is a senior accessibility lead at Spotify and has been making the internet accessible for over 20 years. These are women of color who are paving the way. Um, And Trailblazers um, 
like Allison mentioned, uh, Jim Lebrecht, Rodney Evans, Dale Mohammed, um, Sundance Institute for creating another um, program for accessible futures, Amber Espinosa Jones, Kareem Ahmed, Moy Santos, um, and shout out to Forward Doc for just releasing the first accessible scorecard, which makes it possible for people to um, rate film festivals and events to tell and to collect information about how accessible they are. These are sort of, these are um, nuggets and seeds that are being planted to shape our future in a really like major way um, that, that wasn't here before 2022. So I'm excited about those. Well, listener Ami writes, rom-coms, coming-of-age stories made by and about people with disabilities, that's the thing we need. Allison O'Daniel, do you want to leave us with your thoughts about the things that you are seeing with regard to disability storytelling that really excite you? Yeah, I I actually am so excited about Gen Z. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, you know, I teach film at the California College of the Arts and um students come in and everyone regardless of disability is using captions like captions are becoming normalized it's um and on social media there is this extremely empowered gen z where everybody is just like constantly saying this is the way you can do this this is what it should look like caption your content uh don't call me by this name and etc 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 so i feel like you know policy has to be put in place films need to be made art needs to be made um but <clears throat> people practicing it is where this really happens and gen z is huge and i love their empowerment and then i would also just add that in the art world there's a really beautiful community of disabled artists that are i am just thrilled about and love so much all the work that everybody's doing so well, Allison O'Daniel, thank you so much. Nasreen Al-Khatib as well, uh, both filmmakers based in L.A., Allison as well as in San Francisco. Antoine Hunter based in Oakland, Purple Fire Crow, director, producer, choreography, choreographer, and also Kathleen Ridley, ASL interpreter. Thank you to you as well. My thanks to our Gen Z producer, Caroline Smith, for producing today's segment. Thank you, listeners. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.